This is Science Moab, a show that explores southeastern Utah and the Colorado Plateau through the minds of local scientists. I'm your host, Emily Arnson, and today we're talking about man's deadliest predator, the mosquito, and how climate change and drought in the Colorado Plateau has caused a huge surge in their population. I'd walk out my front door and I'd have about 30 mosquitoes land on me within a minute. It was really rough because, you know, it's been a long day at work. It's hot. You come home, you want to have a barbecue and you want to relax outside. And you can't because even if you're wearing bug spray, they're trying to fly up your nose. Most mosquitoes need to lay their eggs in standing water. Knowing that, you might think that droughts are actually good for preventing mosquitoes. Less water means less chances for them to reproduce. But in Moab, that isn't the case. Climate change has greatly reduced the size of the wetlands, and many of the mosquitoes' natural predators that used to live there have also disappeared. Now, when the floodwaters do come and fill up the wetlands, mosquitoes reproduce relentlessly. And sometimes there's over a thousand mosquitoes in a square foot that are hatching out, and if there's nothing there to eat them, they're going to come for us. Today we're speaking with Shannon Amsbury, manager of Moab Mosquito Abatement, about how he and his team are keeping the mosquito population under control. Can you walk us through the problem of why there is such an overabundance of mosquitoes right now and sort of the role that climate change has played in that? Well, so when the wetlands was perennially wet, there were fish. And mosquitoes, they still found habitat, and we'd have to go out and hunt them down. And, but now the area completely dries out. So when it does flood, there's no predators there to eat the larvae. And then it creates an extra 250 acres of floodwater hatch when it does flood. And does it flood every year? No, it's, um, we've determined it floods on an average of every fourth year now. But um, whether the wetlands completely floods or if we just get a little bit of high water, there's always some mosquitoes that get set off by high water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what are some of the techniques that your team uses to take care of the mosquito problem? So we focus on larviciding. It's good for the environment. As far as mosquito or any kind of pest control goes, mosquitoes are easiest to, to keep things more balanced by larviciding. They're harder to catch once they're flying. We use... Um, product BTI. It's a Bacillus thuringiensis and it works with the mosquitoes digestion. They have a uh, alkaline based digestion so it doesn't affect anything with an acid based digestion like almost all of us. It doesn't bother the fish. If they do eat it the fish can still come along and eat the dying mosquitoes. It kind of helps the fish out that will eat them. It doesn't make any difference to them. Um, Sometimes it'll kill black flies, and black flies are not quite as nasty as mosquitoes. Nobody misses them. Yeah, and so it's my understanding that you use the larvicide instead of fogging because fogging has a greater impact on the larger ecosystem. Can you explain that a little bit? And in case you don't know, fogging is a common way to decrease insect populations by blowing an airborne pesticide into a certain area. Once they're flying, there's not much you can do. You can trap them, but you can't trap enough mosquitoes to make a dent. If we have to fog, we try to choose very specific places to do the most knockdown. We choose the time of day. The weather has to be the right amount of wind. And we plan all that stuff out in order to not bother other insects like uh, people's bees and such. Luckily, we don't have to fog very often. And since 2001, we've fogged twice. 
But we were not fogging for floodwater mosquitoes. We were fogging for the Culex tarsalis, which is a West Nile vector. So we got a formula we used. We trap for mosquitoes every week through the summer, and we test those mosquitoes for West Nile. And if the trap count and the positive mosquitoes in the pools are high enough, then we will fog. And do you have to use different techniques for different species of mosquito? Yes. It's not too varied here most of the time. There is an invasive species that's coming our way. We discovered it in 2019. 80s aegypti. It's a whole new ball game for us. And in 2019, we went on a very serious hunt for it. We were going door to door and, and it's a different mosquito. It has a different plan. It, it's there to eat you. It doesn't care about birds or mammals. It just wants you. It's designed to hunt primates. Uh, oh, okay. It don't care about the wetlands. It don't care about the river. It likes people. And it wants to live in your backyard. It wants to live in your flower bases, your chicken waterer, your cat dish. Wow. So it can survive on a very small amount of standing water. Yes. A thimble full is all it needs. Wow. Actually? Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. How many eggs could it lay in a thimble? You know, I don't know. But like an old beer can laying in a ditch, thousands of mosquitoes will come out of that. Wow. We found some in a, on a fence post. On the very top of it, it could hold water. And there were the larvae living in the two-inch diameter pipe at the very top of it. Mm -hmm. Just waiting for their day to climb out and go bite somebody. <laughs> wow. And do these do the Egyptide mosquitoes transmit diseases? Yes. Uh, it transmits the Zika virus. It's known as a yellow fever mosquito. It is a very dangerous mosquito. We want to keep it out of here. But yeah, so if you're out in your yard and you see this rather pretty black and white mosquito flying around, it's probably going to be trying to bite you on the feet. I want to know, call me at, the, <laughs> at Mosquito Abatement and I'm, I will want to know. Okay. Just to clarify, there haven't been any cases of Zika or yellow fever from these Egyptide mosquitoes in the area, right? No, not here. There are cases of people who've gotten it and come to town. And so that's really all it would take is if, say, somebody was, say, in South America, got Zika, and they're visiting here in Moab or got back from vacation and that invasive species shows up, it could very well become a problem. Okay, so if, if a person got Zika somewhere else, came back to Moab, and then the Egyptide mosquito bit that person, and then it could transmit it to somebody else? Yes. Okay. And how many cases are there of West Nile in this area, usually per year? We have very few. Occasionally it does happen, and it can happen anywhere in the valley. It just takes one mosquito that's carrying that virus to get you, and it might be the only mosquito you see all night. A lot of times it'll happen while you're asleep. It's always a good idea to keep screens on your windows. Whether you don't even see mosquitoes in your neighborhood, I know there's mosquitoes in every neighborhood here. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> they just don't see them. But would you say the main problem that you're addressing is the overpopulation of mosquitoes and like the nuisance of a mosquito rather than west nile or some other mosquito transmitted disease well the nuisance the nuisance mosquitoes give us the most bite complaints however they're just a nuisance and they are miserable and i agree that nobody wants to deal with them however they kind of give us an edge on west nile virus because if people are getting bit by nuisance mosquitoes they will put on deet or go inside and avoid being out we don't mind killing nuisance mosquitoes it's just that if we made a habit of fogging them it would build up pesticide resistance and then fogging would be ineffective mm -hmm. and we'd rather save that for when we absolutely need to do it yeah 
And the method of killing the larva, does that have any negative consequences on the ecosystem? I imagine it does, but it's not like throws it hugely out of balance. And even with the best pesticide treatment, 90% kill is a good kill. So there's still 10%, and that keeps the predators in the area, and they're still hunting larva. Mm -hmm. And it kind of keeps things in balance, and we like to help nature do its own job. If you have to do the adulticiding with the fogging, it really does set things upside down real quick. And so when we do that, we our plan is to not do it like on a day-to-day -day basis, back-to-back. We really just want to protect people. Right, and I think maybe one of the other concerns with the fogging is that it kills all of the insects in, in a certain space, correct? Yeah, so if when you run through with the fog, anything that's flying will get knocked down. Even birds? No, just the insects. Okay. Animals and such, we, we have ways of digesting that. So if even if you do have a problem with it, it doesn't last long. And those are usually for very sensitive people or immune compromised. But we got people who they love the idea of seeing this fog. They, they're all for it. And we got other people, they're absolutely afraid to death of it. The amount of pesticide that's in the, uh, the fog, there's very little pesticide in it. Most of it is the carrier. And no, I wouldn't recommend breathing much of it. But the little bit that might get sucked into your swamp cooler is tiny amounts. There is a risk of having an allergic reaction. And if in the case we ever do fog, we do put out a public service announcement. Right. Um, and I know it's, it's always risky to introduce new animals to an environment, but have you ever considered reintroducing certain fish or birds that are natural predators to these mosquitoes? It has been done. And um, back in, the, I think it was the 1950s, they brought in um, a species of fish called gambusia. They're small minnow-like fish. These fish never went away. They are here, still here. They live in the creek. They live in the uh, in your irrigation water canals, and they're voracious mosquito predators. New laws with the EPA: we can't be moving fish around. If it introduces disease to native fish and such, we would be liable for that. And there's very strict rules on it. So we no longer play with fish. If you have a backyard pond, please get fish. Uh, goldfish do great until they get too big, but you need small fish in your pond to eat mosquitoes. What but, happens when they get too big? They don't eat the mosquitoes? Yeah. However, like koi, they're big enough that they disturb the water enough that female mosquito will not lay eggs in your pond. So if you've got koi, you're good to go. However, frogs are not enough to protect you from mosquitoes. And a lot of our mosquitoes here love frogs, and they'll suck them dry. <laughs> uh, what about the bats? Do they take care of the mosquitoes? They do. But bats have to eat so much every night. I don't know how many mosquitoes you'd have to eat in a night to survive. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't make a huge bit of difference right off the bat. I mean, overall, I'm glad bats are out eating mosquitoes. I love seeing it. The dragonflies are voracious. It's fun to watch them eat mosquitoes. I think sometimes mosquitoes get so bad the bats leave. And so it's just, it's overwhelming for them. They oh, really? They find pastures with more tastier things. Mosquitoes are kind of dry and scaly. And if you've ever inhaled one accidentally, it's got to be the worst bug to eat. <laughs> <laughs> are there any good bugs to eat in your experience? Uh, I'm not really big on eating bugs, but I think shrimp and lobster are pretty tasty. Yeah. <laughs> sea bugs. <laughs> 
Yeah, so walk me through a day. Are you like, are you wading through water, turning over rocks? What does it look like when you're out there? Oh, it's pretty easy. We have to wear, we wear our waders. We walk out. Most of the mosquitoes are going to be in the edge. They don't like deep water. But sometimes that water's hidden. It's underneath dead grass and you got to go find it. And so we basically map out where all the water is and we pay attention where water comes from. We we know everyone's irrigation schedule. Sometimes people, they overflood it and it runs into some area. If the water dries up in five days, there's no problem. But if it lasts longer than that, it can set off a big batch of mosquitoes. And how do you find the groups of larvae? Anywhere there's standing water. Uh, there's a lot of springs along the creek, all the way from the golf course down to the bike path. There's little pockets here and there. And then out in the wetlands themselves, we can find the larvae out there. And what do the larvae look like? Oh, there's these vile little critters. They got a, they kind of look like a little worm, and they they breathe out of a apparatus on their tail. It's called a siphon, and they hang from this siphon, and the siphon pierces the water surface, and that's how they breathe with lungs. And they become a pupae, which they call them tumblers. They look like a giant comma, and yeah, they swim by spinning around. They're very elusive. They're hard to catch sometimes. Can you see the larvae with your naked eye or do you need a microscope? Oh yes, you can see them. I can see them out of the corner of my eye now. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I walk past the water, I, that, that swim, my peripheral vision will pick it up. And I'll, of course, after a while, I can, I can look at standing water from 100 feet away and I can tell if there's going to be mosquitoes in it or not. Yeah, and are they white? What color are they? They can be any color. Uh, it depends on the, they feed off bacteria. They love the storm drains around town. So they're, I know they're all over town. And they're down there in the nastiest, funkiest water that, and they're coming out of that. And then they're going to come and bite you. Gross. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so whatever color bacteria they're eating, it is the color that they will be? Yes. Okay. Um, at least the larvae, they, they're somewhat translucent, and they'll pick up colors. I've seen them green and purple, oh, black wow. and white. And mm -hmm. What kinds of recommendations do you have for people for keeping them safe? Like, would you recommend they use DEET or another kind of mosquito repellent? We found that people really are afraid of DEET. It is spooky. If you spill it on a painted surface, it'll peel the paint up like paint thinner. There are people who are sensitive to it. If that's the case, there's another product called Picaridin. It's a synthetic capacin. Am I saying that right? I don't even know what that it's, is. <laughs> it's the hot stuff in your chili peppers. Oh, okay. It's a synthetic version. It's in an alcohol base. You spray it on. As soon as the alcohol evaporates, you can't even tell you're wearing it. The mosquitoes will still land on you, but they won't bite. They'll just fly away. The Australian military developed it because they noticed their soldiers didn't want to wear DEET. And we have the same problem with our soldiers. They don't want to wear DEET either. And we've lost more soldiers to mosquito-borne illnesses than we have enemy. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, we've lost more soldiers to mosquitoes than the enemies who were there to fight. Wow, um, that is a wild statistic. <laughs> it's pretty interesting, yeah. Um, George Washington actually uh, was able to beat the British because of mosquitoes. The uh, English general set up his camp on a delta of the Potomac and George Washington just waited them out, and they end up all getting malaria, and they couldn't fight, and they had to give up. Wow, the mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. And so from what I understand, 2019 was a really bad year for mosquitoes. Can you explain what that situation was like? Oh, it was a horrible situation. Um, so we were shorthanded and we didn't have anybody to be able to get out there and get the pesticide down and cover the acres. And then there's a, a priority list when you have a flood. You want to get the ones closest to town first and then work your way out. But with the South Pond the way it was, it's a very rugged area to be into when it's flooded and it's hard to treat. That part was given up on because mm -hmm. of the stress and the heat. And those mosquitoes, when they hatched out, could fly right up Mill Creek into town. And they flew all the way up the creek into Spanish Valley biting people. People who have never been bitten by mosquitoes in Spanish Valley were appalled. <laughs> yeah. What was the landing rate in 2019? I'd walk out my front door and I'd have about 30 mosquitoes land on me within a minute. That is horrible. It was really rough because, you know, it's been a long day at work. It's hot. You come home, you want to have a barbecue, you want to relax outside, and you can't because even if you're wearing bug spray, they're trying to fly up your nose. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a forecast for 2021? Do you expect a flood this year? I don't know if there's a way to predict. You know, it really doesn't look like it. However, 2019, the snowpack in the Rockies at this time of the year was only a couple inches more than what we have now anything can happen it's the snow that comes in in april that really is going to make our difference on what kind of flood we're going to have on the river mm -hmm. um, if we start getting these storms coming through and the snowpack starts building we might have a good river year and a good mosquito year for well at least good for them um. <laughs> <laughs> okay well great thank you so much thank you to listen to more Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Science Moab. This episode was reported and produced by Emily Arnson with help from Christina Young, Peggy Hodgkins, and KZMU. If you love learning about science on the Colorado Plateau, then you need to join the Science Moab movement. Subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, get our newsletter, and donate to Science Moab to support knowledge sharing in this place we all love. Your contributions make Science Moab possible. Go to sciencemoab.org to learn more, and thank you, science lovers.